Dear Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would work in our hearts and lives. We know it's a holiday weekend. and Lord, as always, there are just so many things to distract and take our heart away from the things of your word. We ask that you would allow these grand old hymns and, Lord, the preaching of your word to take us from the things of the world and focus us upon you and your goodness And, Lord, that you would allow us to be challenged from your word to live better for you this coming week. We ask that we may worship you, not only with our emotions, but in word and in deed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, you may be wondering about the song service this morning, kind of eclectic possibly, but uh, it really goes well with the sermon this morning. I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 2. And of course, the most famous verses in Ephesians chapter 2 are, For by grace are you saved through faith. But I want us to to back up just a little bit to verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love, wherewith He loved us. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love, wherewith, He loved us. Now, how many of you are excited about Labor Day weekend? I mean, it is a time to relax and all that. Uh, I I think about things a little differently than most people. I will admit that if you want to use the the word weird, be my guest. Uh, But when Labor Day comes around, it is not a time to relax it is the last breath before you have to gear up and get going again. Now, isn't that, especially if you're involved with school or homeschooling, uh, that kind of thing. And, and it really seems that even most uh, of our work situations take a little break during the summer. But uh, once September gets here, which starts tomorrow, it is time to start really getting back to work. How many of you have are looking at that and feeling like that. And, and uh, you know, we know that the Bible tells us, and we sang the song in Sunday school, not to be weary in well-doing. But sometimes it takes more than a choice not to get weary in well-doing. Amen? Uh, sometimes we have to stop and we have to do things positively and and with purpose to help make sure that we stay in the way where we're supposed to stay. And this morning, I would like for us to examine the great love wherewith He loved us. You know, sometimes we just lose sight of all that God has done for us. And we're tempted to... Uh, emphasize, be distracted, to uh, be consumed with all of the uh, negative things that are going on, the 
the problems that are pressing. Uh, and yet, Jesus was very careful. Martha had dinner to fix. Mary said, I'm just going to spend some time with Jesus. And you know what? Jesus said, that's not going to be taken away from her. You know what? Dinner still needs to be fixed. Work still needs to be done. But we need to take a little time and just evaluate. Just to think about His great love. And it's not just His great love, according to Paul, the author of Ephesians. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he says... For his great love, wherewith he loved us. So I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to journey through the scriptures a little bit today. But I want us to think about his great love. The love that God has for us. How He manifested it to us. The things that He has done for us. To be reminded of of everything that God is. Verse 1 says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. Now, we could go on reading, and this is one of those passages, if you're not careful... Uh, you know, a lot of people call central part of the United States flyover country because you leave New York and you're going to California or you're going to some big city out west and you fly over the rest of the country and, and tend to ignore it. And this is one of those passages we tend to ignore. You see, God has spoken and has revealed himself to mankind since the very first uh, uh, day that man lived on this earth, since the sixth day of creation, God has been revealing himself. And it says he sent his prophets, and uh, we're going through the book of Judges, just started that in Sunday school. God sent the judges. He empowered them. He gave them direction to to do the things that he would do. He sent many prophets. It says, in these last days, he sent his son. And some people would get tangled up in the wording here of the son being made 
his first begotten and all of this, but God is just explaining that he does things in a set pattern over a period of time. And he, in order to help us understand things, says, now I've completed this step. I love the last verse that he read. It says, And when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. You know, there's a lot of people that talk about not celebrating Christmas and and all that. And we know that the actual date of Jesus' birth wasn't in December. But I will tell you this. If God sent the angels to worship him at his birth, it wouldn't hurt for you and I to take advantage of the situation and try to worship him and help other people understand they need to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the first thing that we want to talk about outside of creation and, and all the things that Jesus does every day, uh, the Bible tells us that everything that now is is, is upheld uh, in the verse we just read by the power of His Word. You know, the scientists have been able to split the atom and they've been able to uh, cause great catastrophes. And when you ask them, well, what's the difference between the atoms in uranium and the atoms in a sheet of paper? Uh, they'll tell you, well, the atoms in the sheet of paper are just more stable. Uh, we can't do to them what we do and when we make an atomic bomb. And, uh, but theoretically, if we could release the power that's in the atoms in this paper, like we do in uranium to make a bomb, there's enough power in this sheet of paper to destroy this whole city. Aren't you glad it's all sealed up in here? You know why it's all sealed up in here? Because Jesus is keeping it there. Read Second Peter. There's going to come a day when he's going to stop that work. And the elements are going to melt with the fervent heat. Everything that now is is going to pass away. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But this great love wherewith He loved us caused Him to leave heaven's glory and be born a man. Now, how many of you have had aches and pains and physical difficulties during this past week? Just lift your hand. I mean, it doesn't have to be to the hospital, but if you woke up sore, if you had a headache or uh, allergies are kicking in, uh, uh, all of, I mean, we experience physical difficulty every day. You know what? Every human being has those problems. And as you get older, they tell me that they get worse. I haven't gotten older yet, so I don't know. Uh, just teasing. Uh, the simple truth is, you can't do at 50 what you did at 25. It just doesn't work. You can try. Be my guest. Somebody said, 
Oh, I can still handle this. I, I have nothing to prove. Uh, let the young people string themselves. Uh, I, I, I like the least amount of pain that is necessary. Amen? But the simple truth is, the God of gods took on a human body. Years ago, I was sent this thing from some Islamic imam who was trying to disprove the Bible. And one of his mockeries of Jesus Christ was that Mary changed God's diaper according to the word. Uh, Yeah, she did. You know why? Because He loves me. That's why. The eternal God had to wait on a human body to grow up. Now stop and think about that. The eternal God had to wait for his body to grow up. In fact, for nearly 30 years, Jesus was so much an ordinary man that there was no clue by anyone to anyone that Jesus was anything but a human being. You know, when we have abilities, if you have some extra special talent or ability, I'll tell you what, uh, you can't keep it hidden. Now, I don't endorse all the music that Chet Atkins played, but they tell a story about him. He was one of the great guitar players, mostly uh, country music, but certainly he did all kinds of music. And he was one of the formative guitar players uh, of the 40s and 50s. No one uh, really studies what we would call pop guitar today without studying Chet Atkins. He had his own style. He basically invented the modern guitar, we might say. And they tell the story of him being on a ship. And, of course, someone was on the cruise, pulled out a guitar, and started playing. Well, when you have that kind of talent, you can't resist. And and so he comes up and stands on the outside of the group and watching this guy fumble through a few chords. You know, America is the only country in the world with three chords and a capo. You think you're ready for the big time. Uh, And if you don't know what that means, it means you don't know how to play, but you think you do. And uh, so they were sitting there, and he was doing this. And, and of course, uh, Atkins was trying to travel incognito. Nobody knew who he was. He hadn't announced that he was on board or anything. And 
And uh, he said, could I, could I see that guitar for a minute? Couldn't resist. Picked it up, started playing a few rips, and everybody all of a sudden was gone. Wow. The guy who owned the guitar said, Oh, that's pretty good, but you're not any Chet Atkins. I wonder if he objected to that. You see, when we have something that we can do, it's hard. cover that up. In fact, we refuse to. You know why? Because we we like to shine. I want you to think about Jesus. There was nothing that anybody could do that he could not do better. And yet we have not one recorded bit of history. I mean, could you imagine Joseph teaching Jesus carpentry? It took a lot of patience on Jesus' part. We have one little story of his upbringing where Jesus had stayed behind after the feast of the Passover and was debating with the most learned Bible scholars of his day in the temple for three days after his parents had begun the journey home. And and when they came to him and, and, and told him, what are you doing? He said, don't you understand I must be about my father's business? Well, wait a minute. Joseph was probably trying to figure this out. Uh, wait a minute. We've got carpentry work waiting on us in Nazareth. We've got things that got to be done. But it says Jesus was subject unto them. Do you know what that means? It means he got punished for doing wrong. But he wasn't doing wrong. You see, Jesus loved you that much. He left heaven's glory and was born a man with all of the problems of a human body. He had to teach it to walk. But he couldn't teach it to walk until the muscles and the, and the bones and the sinews were developed to a point to where he could walk. He had to perform ordinary tasks. He could not do the things that he normally did. Now, let me ask you a question. Or put it to you, the most important thing in heaven is what? Uh, How many would say 
the most important thing in heaven is the glorification and the worship of God. Would you agree with me on that statement? And Jesus, as God the Son, would be a recipient of that worship and that glory. And yet, as God the Son, and we read in the book of of Corinthians in chapter 15, that when everything is put under His feet, He's going to surrender Himself to God the Father, that God may be all in all. So we see that Jesus was not only a recipient of that worship and that glory, but He was also a participant in worshiping and glorifying the Father, bringing that glory to the Father. And one of the reasons why we worship God today and we are gathered here with this book called the Bible is because of all the things that Jesus did to show us God's great love. Oh, I wish in my own life, in the life of each one here, that we could look at how Jesus lived before He began His earthly ministry and get a hold of, grasp the truth that the unsung, unthanked, what we might say mundane, worthless, daily deeds that we do can be done in worship, in glory to the Father. Don't waste your life waiting for something great to happen to you or waiting for some opportunity to do something great for God when the greatest thing that you could accomplish for God is taking tomorrow and offering it as a gift of worship to God. But you don't know what I have to put up with. Um, no, I, I don't. And, and I'm not trying to be uncaring, but it probably wouldn't do you a whole lot of good to explain it to me because I won't be able to do anything about it. I I can't go into the office at work tomorrow and explain to your boss how much better employee that you are than he or she's been treating you. It it just wouldn't work. It'd probably get you fired. Uh, I I do have that effect on folks. Uh, But God has put you where He has put you for a reason. Doing ordinary things that no one is taking account of, except God, by the way. Jesus did that for 30 years. Someone once walked up to a preacher and said, Pastor, I've been a member of this church for twenty over 20 years. And frankly, I cannot remember even one sermon that you preached. 
And the preacher looked at him and said, Yes. Well, what about it? He said, Well, don't you think it's time that we get another preacher, someone who could do a little better job than you have? And I mean, he just took the preacher to task on this thing. And uh, the preacher looked at him, and I'm sure he prayed. And he said, Sir, he said, I've been married for over 40 years. And it would be very hard-pressed. I would be very hard-pressed to describe every meal that my wife has prepared for me in all these 40 years. He said, but the very fact that I'm here and uh, in need to go on a diet tells me that whatever she did prepare must have been very good. And that it sustained me. And that it kept me going. And so I'm not going to criticize my wife for all the meals that I can't remember. When I can say thank you for all the nourishment that has kept me healthy all these years. I thought that was a pretty good answer. You see, our life is seldom made up of great and huge and monumental things. Our lives are made up of many little, unnoticeable things. And when we live in glory to God or when we fail Him, it's not because of the great things. It's because of all those little things that we either did take care of or didn't take care of. You see, Jesus gives us an incredible example of His love. In the fact that He left heaven's glory and all the great things that were there, was born an ordinary human being and yet God incarnate all at the same time. I don't know how that works. I I can't explain it, but He did it. Amen? And for... I don't know how far your memories go back. Most people don't have very many memories before uh, six or seven years old. But I imagine Jesus' memory would have been a little better than that. But let's say he could remember things when he was two years old. That would be 28 years of waiting. As the eternal God, he did not lose his understanding of the universe. Thirty years of being trapped inside a human body and not once revealing his glory or his greatness until it was time. Could I challenge you today to think about the great love wherewith He loved us? 
Amen. But then when Jesus began His earthly ministry, what did He do? He had to walk nearly 60 miles to find a man named John. Why did He have to find John? Because John was the man that God sent baptizing. God had ordained the picture of water baptism to publicly identify and begin Jesus' earthly ministry. And I've often done this at talking to people trying to explain what baptism is and what it isn't. When a more important person wants to meet a person of lesser importance, uh, in a very small sense, when your boss wants to talk with you, they say, Come into my office, would you please? You don't say, no, no, I'm not going into the office. If you want to talk to me, you can talk to me at my desk. See how long you last. If the President of the United States would desire to talk to you, the Secret Service would call you and set up an appointment with you, and appropriate background checks would be performed. And by the way, if you're a man and you didn't show up for that appointment at the proper time with a suit coat and a tie on, you would not be allowed to see the president, even though he initiated the visit. And yet Jesus walked all the way out in the wilderness to find John. And John didn't know who he was before the baptism. He thought he was just another person getting ready for the Messiah. He didn't get electric chills when he put his hands on Jesus to put him under the water. Oh, this must be the Lord! No, it didn't happen. It was only after he was baptized. Heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove and landed upon his head. And God spoke from heaven in an audible, understandable voice, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Jesus didn't go, Did you hear that? Now you know who I am, huh? Didn't happen when you got baptized. That's what we would do. And don't tell me you wouldn't. That's human nature. But Jesus' nature as a human was controlled by His nature as God. And the Spirit drove Him off into the wilderness. And He had to be tormented. And tempted by the devil for 40 days. Because he loved us. And when he got back from that 40 days, everybody was waiting on him saying, You're the Son of God. What do you have for us to do? Now, it didn't work that way, did it? They, well, John put it this way. He came unto his own. And his own received 
him not. You see, Jesus, let's turn to Acts chapter 2, if you would. Acts chapter 2. And here on the day of Pentecost in Peter's sermon, we're given a summary of how Jesus was treated. Start reading in verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Now, let's just stop there for a minute. Peter saying these words on the porch of the temple at the day of Pentecost, being gathered around by not only just Jewish people from all over the world, but the scribes and the Pharisees and the very people responsible for Jesus' crucifixion only uh, 50 days before this event. He says, listen, every one of you know that this man was approved by God in the things that he did. If he was going to be disproved, if Jesus really hadn't done those things, number one, it would have been utterly foolish for Peter to utter those words. And number two, that would have been the end of Peter and any testimony. But see, Peter was telling the truth. And not one person in his hearing could refute what he said. You know, sometimes we have a tendency to put all this stuff in the realm of, well, that's just the Bible. Well, no, wait a minute. The Bible happened in real life, in real time, among real people. And we sometimes disdain the miracles that Jesus did. Now, I will be very plain this morning, and this is not something new. It shouldn't shock you if you've been around here. I disdain the uh, miracles that Benny Hinn claims to do. Uh, I disdain uh, the miraculous phenomena that attend uh, the TBN crowd, I guess we could call them that, who are all the time claiming visions and things. But I believe in what Jesus did, that he opened blind eyes that he raised the dead, and that he himself was dead and is now alive. Peter made this statement among the only people who could have disproved it, and there was not one word. Look at verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of the scribes and Pharisees. Is that what your Bible says? What does it say? He being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Now, this is a description 
of Jesus' life and ministry. Peter is saying, listen, Jesus of Nazareth, this is his name, this is how he was known. He, he wasn't one of the other Jesuses that were running around. Jesus was the, uh, the, the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament named Joshua. Uh, he wasn't the only person that used that name in his day. Uh, I personally would never and have not named any of my kids that name. I believe today that name belongs to him. To Jesus. But Jesus of Nazareth, he said he was approved of you. You've seen the miracles that he did. God determined before any of you were born that there would be an old rugged cross. God took counsel. Now, who did God take counsel with? Well, what Peter's trying to help us understand that this wasn't a secret thing known only to God. Read Psalm 22. It is a blow-by-blow description of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ written a thousand years before He was born. Read Isaiah chapter 53. It describes the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Read all and study the sacrifices that were offered in the tabernacle and the Day of Atonement. All of these pointed toward Jesus Christ. That was God's counsel. He let us know everything that was going to happen if you wanted to know. Then Peter puts the point in. He says, but it was your wicked hands that nailed him to the cross. You know what? Somebody had to do it. But you didn't need to volunteer for the job. But I want you to understand something. Why did Jesus endure the cross despising the shame? Why did he allow himself to be cursed and even called uh, Beelzebub by the very people he came to die for? It was because of his great love wherewith he loved us. Now, have I told you anything new this morning? unless you've never been here before, never opened the Bible before, this is nothing new. But I want you to stop and think about the great love wherewith He loved us. But I'll tell you what, I'm glad that Jesus' love did not end at Calvary. You see, on the third day, that stone rolled away from the door. Amen? And let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to just read some verses here. We're going to start in verse uh, 21. First Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read right through the end of the chapter. 
It says, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. If we'd have read on in Acts chapter 2, Peter would have said it was not possible for Jesus to be holden, to be held by death. You see, Jesus rose again. Why? Because of the great love wherewith he loved us. In order to rise again, he had to die first. The cross... And its shame was a prerequisite to the resurrection and its glory. And the Bible tells us that Jesus did that so that he could choose the foolish, the base, the weak things of this world to confound the mighty, the mighty so that he could use the weak things of this world to destroy the strong things of this world. You see, Jesus loved us enough to want to use us in His ministry. He loved us enough to want to be identified with us. I mean, he loved us enough to say, I want the people who live in this world to know that these people belong to me. I'll tell you what. Most of us could raise our hands if we were honest and say, 
you know, there are things in my life that I'm ashamed of, that I wouldn't want people to know, that would hinder me in being a good, identif- uh, uh, having identity with Jesus. In fact, I think it was uh, Gandhi, the leader of India, who said, I would be a Christian if it weren't for Christians. He said, I'd identify with Jesus if, if there was a human being that was good enough to identify with Jesus. Now, that is an indictment against the way that many people who call themselves Christians live. But it's an also an indictment against Mr. Gandhi himself, who believed his own righteousness was in excess of anybody who called themselves a Christian. You see... The essence of any great accomplishment by a human being in the human race is pride, which is the greatest sin of all. Have you ever met somebody so proud of their humility that they just couldn't stand it? Lots of people like that in the world we live. Jesus said, I rose again from the dead so that you can live your life in identification with me. But you know something? Jesus' love didn't end at an empty tomb, now did it? John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You know what? He's coming again. Turn with me to John chapter 17, and we'll be finished this morning. You see, Jesus left heaven and its glory and his part in that to be born a human being because he loved us. He suffered rejection and and humiliation and, and all blasphemy and all the things that were done unto him. And finally, it was the cruelty of the cross. When even God the Father turned his back on the Son as he took upon him the punishment of all of our sins because he loved us. He rose again from the dead so that you and I could see and understand that when he said it was finished on the cross, it was finished. So that we could identify with Him, that He would identify with us and allow us to walk through this life as sinful and frail and as as poor examples as we are, yet to identify with us, to allow us to assemble together as a church in His name, because He loved us. And He's coming again. Do you remember back at the beginning we talked about the greatest thing that heaven is about is the glorification and worship of God? I I believe that's true. 
but I want you to read with me John chapter 17, verse 24. This is Jesus' prayer. He says, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am. Present tense. That they may behold my, what's that next word? Can you read it? That they may behold my... Okay, we had two people. Let's try it again. That they may behold my glory. Well, wait a minute. What's the most important thing going on in heaven? You see, Jesus said, I want you guys to be a part of that. That they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Jesus said, listen, I want them that you've given me, those that call themselves by my name, I want them to be where I am. See, people have a real hard time with this, that how could Jesus be in heaven and die on the cross at the same time? Uh, One word answer. God He is God. Uh, But that doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't have to. Uh, Your brain is not capable of comprehending the greatness of God. It's just not going to happen. But you can consider it. He says, I want them to behold my glory. Could I challenge you to just think? In your own life. Maybe this happened to you the first time you walked in the doors of this church. You walked in and said, what are all these weird people doing in here? They're, they're all dressed like they're going to work or something. And those hymns that they sing, man... They sound like they're a hundred years old. Well, some of them are a lot older than that. And, and that Bible they read, I can't understand a word in it. This doesn't make sense at all. And turn around and walk out. There's people that have done that. But then they come back. And they say... You know, I started listening to the reading of words and realized that there's something special about those hymns. And a preacher gave me one of them little dictionaries to help me understand all the hard words. And by the way, we still have some in the bookstore if you want one. But then you got saved. And all of a sudden it was a different world, wasn't it? You see, this sermon isn't going to make a bit of sense to you unless you're saved. If you're not saved, you have to stop believing in yourself. Start believing on Jesus. 
It's just that simple. A little child can do it. You know what makes it difficult? Is all the other things that we hold on to. But you don't understand. I, 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 I was a member of such and such a church. You know, somebody accused me one time. says, you only think Baptists are going to heaven. I said, that is not true. I would say there's an awful lot of Baptists that aren't going to heaven either. Well, then who's going to get saved? Only the people who truly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. Jesus said to strive to enter in at that straight gate. It says many are going to try and not be able to get in. But I'll tell you something, you need to consider the love. That he loved us with. It's a great love. And it's not limited only to his children. It says, for God so loved the world. His love is available for any person who will receive it. He left heaven's glory. And was born a human being. He suffered rejection. No one understanding him. He had to cover up who he was and hide it. And yet he did miracles and they still didn't believe him. He raised the dead. They still didn't believe him. He was willing to die on the cross. And they still didn't believe him. But he did it because he loved us. He rose again the third day. So that we could see. Somebody said, well, I guess the angel rolled the stone away so Jesus could get out. No. The angel rolled the stone away so we could see in. He is already out. That, That stone didn't hinder him a bit. The Roman seal did not bother Jesus one little tiny bit. Didn't even pay attention to it. Tens of thousands died for breaking those seals, but that wasn't going to happen to Jesus. Amen. And he's coming again. So he can take us to be with him because here is the goal. He wants us to behold his glory. And when you do, you're going to be so overwhelmed. That the only thing you can do is fall on your face and say, holy, holy, holy. Now, I'm not against that old hymn, but I'll tell you this. It's not going to be some stodgy organ playing in heaven. And it's not going to be somebody just going, holy, holy, holy. I mean, the universe is going to reverberate. With the sound. Because that is the glory that he is worthy of. And he wants us to participate in that. Because he loved us. Now here's the question. Are you living in his love? Or are you living your way? I'd hope the Holy Spirit would fill in the rest of it. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, I pray that we would have been able to see, just scratch the surface, to re-examine the great love wherewith you loved us. And Lord, we would let that love move us. Lord, there are some in here that need to be moved to salvation. There are others who need to be moved to obedience, whether it be baptism or church membership, whether it be just getting rid of things in their lives that hinder their service for God. There are others that need to be moved to victory over temptation and sin in their lives. Lord, there are some of us that need to be moved to stop doing things in our own power and our own ability. Lord, I just ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to convict and to move us. And Lord, that He would give us just a little greater understanding of this great love, of the infinite riches of Your mercy, and the fact that You have loved us with this love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.